Hello everyone, today with me I have a woman who has done the Phantom of the Opera, The Little Mermaid, My Fair Lady, Cinderella, and Beauty and the Beast, just to name a few. I'd like to propose a toast. Here's to Rebecca Robbins. Hi, Rebecca. How are you? <laughs> Hi, Paul. I'm good. How are you? Happy I'm New Year. I'm great. Happy New Year. So how I know you is I've shared this story so many times on this podcast before. Where I knew of you first off because so I'm insane and I like have a spreadsheet that lists that like lists like a bunch of that lists like a bunch of shows and it will like it lists out the characters so for like phantom i have it literally it's like phantom christine rao carlotta madame jerry meg etc and i'll list everyone wow i'll list what productions they were in i'll list if they were an understudy an alternate a standby etc i'll list if they were like a, if they were a former understudy alternate like because it was so much beneficial for me because a lot of times it's like I'd have to check like four different sites, including like three different tumblers to find information. And then when I would do posts on my tumblers, specifically a lot of the times I would do this post called How I Know You, which is when like there have been like multiple overlaps between people playing roles. Like a lot of the times, a lot of Carlottas also, there were several Carlottas who played Madame Morrible and Wicked. There were also sometimes like... Or there were also, there were a lot of Madame Morbles who also played Mama Rose. There were also a lot of Christines who were Glindas. And so it was easier because then I could just put, okay, well, well, for people at home, like, who know are familiar with Google Sheets or spreadsheets or whatever, you know, I would just put the two columns together, organize it, and then I would just remove all the single names. And then it sounds complicated, but it works. If I show it to people, it works and it makes sense. Uh-huh. I believe you. But anyway, but then where I really got to know you was through Walnut Street Theater. Because mm -hmm. I am in New Jersey, I'm a I'm New Jersey gal. I'm like 30. I take the high speed line into Paco high speed line into Philly. Mm -hmm. And I see wall I see shows at the Walnut often. Um, the first I believe the first thing I saw you in was The Little Mermaid, where you okay. were Ursula. And mm -hmm. I got to see Diana Huey as um, Ariel. Finally, I love Diana. Oh, Had she's her amazing had her on she's the best mm -hmm. i then saw you in elvis they're they're one of their new musicals they did about like elvis's life and then recently i got to see you in all your soprano glory in beauty and the beast <laughs> oh right 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 and did i literally messaged did I messaged, you see cinderella i can't remember if you did i one. did not i was i think i was going to but then when i was going to i just i I think, like, just things for me didn't match up, like, timeline-wise uh -huh. for me. Okay. Gotcha. Because it was also, it was also, I think it was also because it was, um, oh, it was my first semester of grad school was over, and I was exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. I can't imagine. And I was exhausted, but, um, but I did, so I saw you in three things, and so that was, and I remember every time I'd be like, hi, Rebecca, I'd be like, you were great, and then I remember, you know, we messed up, when I created my, my Ladies Who Lunch account, you know, we messaged a few times and i would be like hey like i'm here to see you and stuff but like, right. i'm here like i would love to see you afterwards but anyway so that's how i came to know you i came to know you through walnut um so my first question now let me let me ask you questions instead of me just rambling okay is you are classically trained correct correct i went to the curtis institute of music and i studied opera so how did this so what what was your introduction to classical music that's a good question. Um, <laughs> well, it's funny because I, you know, I grew up in West Virginia. There's mm -hmm. not a whole lot of classical music there. Um, 
so my my one of my first voice teachers said well if you really want to learn how to sing properly you need to sing classically because that is the basis of everything yep so then he started giving me repertoire you know old italian songs and and things like that and then you know i graduated to you know arias and you know and and i was also doing community theater at that time especially during high school mm-hmm. so i was trying to like stay in both worlds the opera and musical theater and then uh, i realized opera is not nearly as much fun as musical theater <laughs> <laughs> so what was what was the moment where you're like oh i'm gonna i, I decided i'm gonna go to the curtis institute of technology and i'm gonna train my voice uh, it's the Curtis Institute of Music, by the way. Oh, sorry, um, sorry. That's okay. I wish I were technological. Um, <laughs> well, you know, sometimes they like have you like the technological school of music, and so <laughs> exactly, you just don't know. Um, I, I auditioned for a lot of schools okay. when I decided to go to college. I auditioned at Carnegie Mellon. I got Oberlin, um, Curtis, and Curtis is free. If you get in, it's oh. completely free. So mm-hmm. fortunately, I mean, I was very, very lucky because I didn't know I was 18 years old. I really didn't have any idea how I compared to other singers. I was in West Virginia. There's not a whole lot of us mm-hmm. there. And so I was shocked when I was I was accepted at all those schools. But then, you know, Curtis is free. So I was like, that's that was my decision. And when I was accepted, there were only two people accepted into the voice department that year. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's really it's a small small school, and it's very very exclusive and it's intense. It is so intense. So on the opposite end of classically trained, <laughs> you played Florence Foster Jenkins. Uh huh. I certainly did. How do you approach? I I have so many questions about this because I am like Florence is like one of my like guilty pleasures. Mm-hmm. How do you approach singing badly on purpose <laughs> without ruining your voice? Right. Um, it's it's it was an interesting process. One because you know I had been introduced to her during college, and it was always a big joke, like, "Oh my mm-hmm. god, you have to listen to this amazing singer!" And then they'd play the recording, and I was like, yeah. "Wait, what am I listening to?" <laughs> so listening to what she did and her technique. You know, it's it's a lot about bending the pitches. It's a lot about her intonation. You know, I really had to dissect what she was actually doing in order to recreate it for me. And I actually had a really great time. More, it was, it was an incredible experience for me. Truly, one of the highlights of my career. So, what was the audition process like for this? <laughs> well, it's interesting. I was on tour with Phantom. Okay. Um. I can't even remember what city we were in. And I got a voicemail, because I was on stage, uh, from Bernard Havard, who's the artistic director at Walnut Street Theater. Mm-hmm. And he said, I have this play that I would like you to take a look at. He's like, I think you'd be really great for this part. And I was like, okay. So I read <laughs> it, and I was like, what the heck? First of all, she's like 74 years old. <laughs> And I just thought, there's absolutely no way I can do this. There is no way I can do this. But at the same time, you know, over the years, Bernard had been so good to me. He'd cast me in so many shows. And I just thought, nobody says no to Bernard of Hard. I have to say yes and just do the best I can. Mm-hmm. 
So that's how, and then that's one of the reasons I left the road was to go back to Walnut, come back to Philly and, and do stuff here. And that was the first thing I did when I came back. So what was it like just like playing this role? And like, especially like, cause you know, like it's what, like, I mean, I can think of like multiple things. It was like, you know, Meryl doing it in the movie. She does, she's like, okay, mm -hmm. cool. Take Whereas you have to deal with the audience around you. And if they laugh, if they like make jeers or whatever. So what was that like? And especially because I'm assuming you did it in studio three in the intimate studio where like you could literally just hold your hand out and you're touching an audience member. <laughs> yeah, they are right there. There's no hiding in that space. No hiding at all. Um, you just have to find the honesty and the truth in her as a person. And she truly loved what she did. I mean, there was no question mm -hmm. about it. She absolutely loved what she did. And, you know, she wouldn't take no for an answer. So... You know, the audience, of course, laughed and they, of course, you know, and actually I have this very funny story. Um, one of the people at the box office told me uh, somebody left the show at intermission and they stopped at the box office and they wanted they wanted a refund because they were so upset. How could Walnut Street Theater cast somebody in this who couldn't sing? How dare you? And it's a waste of money and blah, blah, blah. The, the, the guys at the box office still tell the story to this day. <laughs> But, but they left an intermission and they were angry. They were so angry. And so I just thought, yes, I'm doing my job. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the reviews were hilarious when they were trying to decide, you know, trying to describe how I was singing and, and the piece and everything. And, you know, I was like, one of the reviews said it was like being in a, sh a shower full of needles and <laughs> a, a goose being run over by a truck. I mean, it's some of them are on my website actually that's that's what that, <laughs> that's what i would i would I just imagine like if you're ever asked for a press packet just put that in with no context sounds like a goose being run over by a truck <laughs> because i would ask questions about that <laughs> well you know it's funny on my resume on my theater resume under my special skills i have singing like florence foster jenkins <laughs> that is that is a special skill under like that's why i always like whenever like because people are always asking me for advice about resumes but i always say on the podcast for whoever's listening i'm like put the most random thing you can do on the special skills because you never know sometimes people want to see it right or the, or it's just a conversation starter when exactly. you're in the room you know they'll be like oh you're from west virginia that is a special skill being from west virginia <laughs> <laughs> you know and it, it's a, yeah it's a conversation starter for sure like i always what did, what did i forget what did i used to put on my oh i always used to put um i always used to put my um christina terrible christina aguilera impression i used to put terrible christina aguilera impression on my resume and it would just be me like they're just going like Rawr! like the entire time just damaging my voice oh god <laughs> no one ever asked about it thank god because <laughs> right because then you have to do it that's the thing you have to be prepared to do it like i could do it but then i'd be like okay we're gonna do this after i sing my song but not before <laughs> fair enough <laughs> but anyway so so yeah, so that anyway, Florence is one of, and I remember when the movie came out with Meryl Streep, I was like, this oh, is mm -hmm. I saw it in the theater, yeah. 
And ironically, now I'm watching the guy who plays the piano in the movie. I'm watching him in the Big Bang Theory right now. I'm currently binging the Big Bang Theory. So he, it's is, like... he, he did a fantastic job in the film. I mean, I think he's a great actor. I can't remember his name offhand, but he was fantastic in that role. Because it's kind of a thankless role. It's such a big part of her and her life. Exactly. But at the same time, it's about her. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a tough role. So would you ever revisit Florence? <laughs> I, would in a, I would in a heartbeat. Okay. I, would, I would do it in a heartbeat. I mean, not a whole lot of theaters do that piece, and it's yeah. for a very specific audience. I mean, if it, and I think since COVID, most theaters are just trying to recoup and to try mm -hmm. to get the back what they lost. Mm -hmm. So doing a piece like that, they're not going to do it because it's not going to be a money maker for them. Unless they get like a, unless they get like I don't know, like Patty Lapone or something to do it, and they're not. Gonna... Yeah, right. A, a big, a big name. Yeah. I mean, I'd I'd pay to see Patty. <laughs> That that would be very interesting casting, very interesting. I'm so, sure she could pull it off. Oh yeah. Um. So you also. So I remember we talked about this during at the stage door of um, Beauty and the Beast. But you did Phantom of the Opera. Uh huh. I did. You did both the restage tour and the Broadway production. Correct. And, and it's funny. I did the opposite. I I was on Broadway and then I left Broadway to do the tour. Usually it's oh. the opposite. So you played one of my dream roles in theater, the confidant. <laughs> okay. I that was the first role when I could, because when I went into Phantom on Broadway, I was a vacation swing first. Oh, exciting. And um, that was the first role that I learned. And then by the end, I had learned, you know, all six tracks. So I just swung, you know, whoever was out, I just went in. I always say that my top my top four dream roles are confidant in Phantom of the Opera and that no three roles the confidant in the Phantom of the Opera um the hair hag in Les Mis and then also oh. the factory worker in Les Mis the one that pretty much sets up the entire plot for the rest of the show <laughs> Oh, okay. I always said I'm like I'm like come on I was like I remember I was talking to Julia Ellen Richards and I think her name is she plays the the factory girl on tour and I remember we were talking about that I was like I was like you get to serve see you next Tuesday you get to wear a corset belt your face off and then you're done and you're in the ensemble for the rest of the show I was like that's a dream role right there <laughs> right those step out little features and then you can go back to you know just Singing in the background, yeah. Smoking in the cigarette <laughs> Yeah. So you were so you obviously went on to the the restage tour, and it obviously got mixed reviews because it did. Obviously, house production is so beloved, rightfully so. So, what was that like? Especially like, were you asked to come join the tour? And were you like the tour? No, I actually auditioned oh. because on Broadway I did not cover Carlotta, and the track oh. that opened up on the tour was uh it was it was they had different um yeah they had different blocking and like different covers right and so i played confidant and madame fairman and i covered carlotta Ooh. so for me that was the appeal so i actually auditioned um with a lot of people <laughs> and you know all those tapes have to go to cameron he has to approve blah 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 so i was like yeah and but they that they called and and it was quick it was so so quick that whole turnaround so what was it like what was what was it like working on the two different productions were there things because i know we talked a little bit about this but we, there were things you liked about the touring one and there were things you liked about the broadway one 
Mm-hmm, for sure. Well, you know, the first couple days of rehearsal, I was so confused. Because, <laughs> you know, it's the same music, you're wearing the same costumes, and you're actually dancing during Masquerade. Or, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, for me, it was a total, excuse my French, it was a total mindfuck. No, <laughs> all first. good, all good. <laughs> um, so it took a long time to adjust and you know it's a different director so he had different ideas and different things like this and you know like for one of things for instance during the we call it the spanish panic you know after piancha gets hung and everybody's running across the stage in a panic spanish panic um on the broadway version we always held our hands up Mm -hmm. because that's what they say Mm -hmm. your hand at the level you rise they didn't do that on tour so the first couple shows i was doing that and and they're like um this isn't broadway don't put your hand up and i was like okay you know so it was was little things like that that really uh confused me but i wish i wish there was a way to combine the two productions because there's so many beautiful things that happened in the original of course but there were so many great ideas and and new things that came out in the tour so you know I think it would be ideal to be able to combine the best of the two, but that one of the things that I loved about the tour version was the chandelier falling in the in Act One was how like then all a bunch of other things fell because I mean when you I mean going to the movie I know the movie had like introduced like different views but like when a chandelier falls it's not just gonna go like plumb like it's gonna take things with it. True. Yeah, well, it's funny because I did see the Vegas production, and the and the Vegas production actually had a stunt guy like swinging from. Oh the, yeah, it was incredible. Um, but you know, the set that we toured with, first of all, it was eighteen semis, so it was crazy oh, yeah. huge, huge set. Uh, but everything was one on Bluetooth. Everything was faster. Everything was just shiny new. You <laughs> know, because the the chandelier on Broadway, while it's beautiful and iconic, yes. You it's know what's like coming down. It's like, er, 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 <laughs> oh yeah, er, 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 you know. And then, it, but the chandelier on tour. I mean, it came down fast, and that was what was like, oh my god, is it going to stop? So that was kind of interesting to see the audience reaction I to the two was, different ones. If I remember correctly, because I remember watching the Phantom documentary a while, like when I was when I was younger. And I remember something about it being like about like safety rules, because Hal said he said. He said, you know, the broad like the London one, he's like, it fell at a nice, like a decent rate. The Broadway one, he was like, it felt so slow because of safety regulations and everything. And then he said, but the Australian one, and he said, them being Australians, it went like, <laughs> like, like. Yeah, I can believe it. I can believe it. Like, where it's usually blocked that the row grabs the Christine. That's a blocking thing. For Australia, he was like, that's more of a safety thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, the one on Broadway just didn't quite instill the same fear. It did not. <laughs> and I remember I saw it, and I was like, this is, I was like, I don't remember, because I, I saw the original tour when I was younger, the one that came uh-huh. to Philly, not the revised tour. And I remember, I remember I saw it, and then when I saw it on Broadway, I was like, this is a lot less anticlimactic than I remember it being as a child. Yeah. Yeah, especially if you're in the balcony and you're and you're seeing it from a distance. I mean, if that's where I was both times. If I saw you're sitting right underneath it, it's a little different because it's literally coming down on your head. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but yeah, and I remember one of the things that um, what else was there that I like? I did like the whole um, where like where like when the set turns around and 
Mm-hmm. It like you see them walking down the stairs. I did. Yeah, like and that the stair part. comes out like one at a time as they step. That was always. I love that effect. Love, love, love that effect. And, and the I Phantom's know. Lair. I like the Phantom's Lair in the tour. Really? Because you know, House House was very. It was bare bones. You know, he didn't want big set pieces. He mm-hmm. didn't want big. You know, um, so on the tour, I mean, that was what was so cool. It was a little more visual. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So how do you approach the role of La Carlotta? Because obviously she's not really given much of an arc (laughs) in this story. She's just sort of there to be a foil for Christine and just to sort of like set up stuff. Yeah, that's, that's true. But at the same time, I mean, you have to play her with honesty. Yes. You can't play mm-hmm. her as a villain. You can't play her as a bad person because she's really not. She's just fighting yeah. to keep her job. Mm-hmm. And she sees Christine as, you know, this threat. And she is a threat until the end of the show. So that's why there's no arc because that threat is never removed for her. And then the stakes just keep getting higher and higher. And... You know, and once Pianji's killed, it's like, oh, okay, this this phantom person's not kidding. He's he's really gonna make Carlotta, <laughs> or he's really gonna make Christine the the, the star mm-hmm. of this, and and you know. But I remember, um, it's it's all it's for me. I always found it, I always find it funny. So I'm always like, everyone, I don't know how familiar you are with High School Musical. I don't know it at all. You need to get on that. <laughs> I know. There's so many things I need to get. on. I don't know Tara Van Hansen. There's so many things I need to to study. I mean, I remember, because one of the things for High School Musical is it's essentially, it's it's not like with Family Opera with all like the screaming and the bloody murder and stuff, but it's like, it's like you know, there's already these two established stars, and then a new person comes in, and it's like, and then all of a sudden, and I remember my favorite thing is there's this one post online where it's like, Sharpay wasn't the villain. Sharpay was essentially the Carlotta of High School Musical, and everyone's like, Sharpay wasn't the villain. She was trained, she did all this stuff, and then this new girl, Gabrielle, just came in, was like... But I mean, it's so it so mirrors what we do in our mm-hmm. business. You know, there's always going to be someone younger than you. There's always going to be someone better than you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's constantly figuring out how you can keep yourself new and keep yourself relevant, you know, because there's always going to end. There comes a time when you do, you have to step aside and let the younger person, the, you know, the differently talented person and that's hard. That's one of the mm-hmm. hardest things about the business is is figuring out where you fit and when it's time to move on. Yeah, I had that conversation with Sarah Jean Ford when I had her on it because she did that whole series called The Aging Ingenue where <laughs> it was so funny where she like sang part of your world in the first episode. Then like, we killed you in for Ursula. And, <laughs> and Sarah was like, oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, Um, it's hard. It's hard. I mean, I was never really an ingenue because I was a bigger girl. mm -hmm. And usually ingenues were the tiny little petite, Mm -hmm. whatever. And that was never really me. And my voice was actually a little heavier than most young ingenues. So I feel like I'm finally growing into what I was meant Mm -hmm. to do and to be. So do you have any good Jillian Lynn stories from working on Phantom? Oh, Jillian. Uh, I, I was lucky enough to, to work with her. Um, it's all right if they're not PG. It's all well, right. She, she, she terrified me. I mean, I was scared because I had heard all the stories and I'd heard all the like, Ugh. and I was um, that particular time that she came in to rehearse. I was on for little band. And so I was trying girl. I was doing trying oh. little band. 
So I was terrified she was going to rip me to shreds because I'm not a dancer by any means. I mean, step touches is about as good as it gets. And, um, change. and she was she was lovely. She was so supportive and she was so kind. And, you know, she really didn't have anything negative to say. You know, she was just talking about, you know, make sure you guys stay in, in your diamond shape. And when mm -hmm. you're traveling around the stages as one unit and, you know, things like that. But the biggest thing and all the dance captains tell you this, you know, she wants you to stand with nipples firing. Yep. <laughs> That was her big phrase. So when you're standing on the stairs for the finale of, of you know, Masquerade, when everybody's coming down for what they call the Walton Chorus, um, it's always nipples firing. <laughs> you got to have that chest open and, you know, just. I Because I love that woman so much. She was. She had such a creative turn of phrase. <laughs> and I mean, I because I mean, my first introduction to theater was Cats. The uh -huh. um the which, uh, the, which so shockingly I've actually done. <laughs> <laughs> I had that same conversation with Catherine Heat, and she said she was like she was like uh -huh. I oh no it was Donna Vino Donna Vino said that she's like I'm not a dancer, but I have. <laughs> I know I, I know it's just like and I always keep it on my resume because I always want people to know I actually did cats. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who were you in cats? Oh, wait, I, I was remember you were Jelly Lorem. Jelly Lorem Gridabone, yeah, uh huh. I and it was with and it was with Richard Stafford, who you know was part of the original company, and he ended up putting out the tours. He was always the one who was directing the tours that were going out, and you know, so it was the real thing. You know, and I'll never forget that audition. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I went in and I sang. You know, I think I sang the Grasscow Tiger stuff, the mm -hmm. the Griddle Bone, and um, so he gets up from the table and he walks around and he puts his arm around me and he walks me like over to a little corner and he's like, okay, he's like. And Richard and I had worked together a couple times at this point. He said, if I were to give you this part, do you promise me that you will take some dance classes before we start rehearsal? And I said, absolutely, Richard. I would do that for you. And I did. I actually did. I went to Koresh here in Philly, and uh, I took a couple classes, and I was like, okay, I think I'm ready. <laughs> but, then when we, but then when we were in rehearsals, you know, he would always have somebody like, Take me off to the side. Okay, teach Rebecca this and just let her do it over and over and over again until she gets it. Because he knew if I did it over and over, yeah. I would eventually get it. It's yeah, just, that's... He that's... just had to move on. He was just like, mm -hmm. I can't deal with you right now. <laughs> Go do your thing and I will... But it's out of... Because to me, that sounds like it was out of love. It wasn't like, oh, gosh, you can't do this. It was No, like... it was totally... He was like, I know you're going to get it. I just need you to go over here and keep working on it. And meanwhile, I'm going to work with the rest of the group. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was I was grateful for that, you know, because me just trying to flub my way through everything was, was silly, you know, and, and it really wasn't productive. So that was, for me, the best way to learn. My favorite is hearing all the stories about non-dancers who do cats. Cause, uh -huh. So I had a Maria Eberlein on the podcast, and her husband is, I think it's Richard Todd Adams. Oh, I know that name. He was in, I think it was Richard, wait, let me double check, because I don't want to, I don't want to say the, no, I believe it is Richard Todd Adams. Because they did Jekyll, I believe it is. I'm so sorry, Maria, if I got that wrong. Um, <laughs> but so he did the revival of Cats, and I the remember most, the most recent, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. And he was Buster for Jones and like the cover for Old Deuteronomy. And Maria was like, "You're getting called in for Cats, but you can't dance." And <laughs> so what she would do is she would call him Busted Ass Jones. Ah. Uh... <laughs> 
<laughs> and he couldn't dance. And like, I mean, that was like a going joke between them. And I remember I love that story so much. Then like, she like they apparently like Maria does like teaching with like theater and stuff. And like, she was saying how one like, and so does her husband. And she was saying how they were doing cats like one summer. And so they asked Richard to come in and do cats. And Richard was like, can you like, be my dance captain per se because I can't dance and so Maria would come in and show the kids what he, they were supposed to do oh wow that's funny that's so, a good team I do I so yeah so going so now moving forward because you are Philly based and to get to the Walnut Street Theater mm-hmm. so what was your introduction to the Walnut Street Theater because you're obviously from West Virginia which is I not am. near the wall in a street <laughs> it is definitely not um well uh, when i was at curtis i had a big crush on my history professor <laughs> and it turned out i actually ended up marrying my history professor Aww. and so obviously he was philly based because curtis Wait, still married or divorced still married so married. okay i didn't want to yeah. say oh and then be like oh we're divorced now and i'm gonna be like oh this is awkward no no still still married still actually like each other which is shocking um so I, I was living in new york at the time and i really wasn't getting anywhere i was working as a secretary i worked for a couple of different investment banking firms um i was a good secretary i actually liked it um but oh, that was, a, was ethel merman that, that ethel was, a, was a secretary <laughs> there you go and um but I was like, this is not why I moved to New York. And, you know, I, I really wasn't getting anywhere because I was trying to go to auditions at my lunch hour or after work. And I was non-equity and it just, it, I wasn't getting anywhere. So mm-hmm. once we got engaged, I decided to move back to Philly to move in with him. And that's when I started auditioning. I worked at media theater first. Um, and then it came up at the Walnut. They were doing a co-production of She Loves Me with Main State Music Theater and with Walnut Street. Mm-hmm. And I got cast as the Amalia understudy. Congrats. And so we started in Maine. We did, I don't know, three weeks in Maine. And then we came back down to Philly. And what happened was during previews, our leading lady um, had was having major vocal issues. And I ended up having to go on. And I really had not had any rehearsal at that point because Maine is, you know, like a summer stock program. Mm-hmm. You just you do your thing and you get. You're, out. you're an understudy, but you're never going to go on. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And they probably and, didn't even fit you for costumes. <laughs> no, and so <laughs> you know it was previews, so of course I still hadn't had any understudy rehearsal, and they were like, uh, "Bridget's out. She just can't. She can't do it." And. He, so the stage manager, Debbie Marcucci, who actually ended up directing me in Souvenir, um, she put me into the show and she rehearsed and we, we worked all that day, you know, getting where's my other shoe? Oh, dear God, that took me forever to get the blocking on all of that. But anyways, long story short, I ended up going on, you know, the powers that be saw me go on. They came, you know, to see the show and everything. And, and that was my start. That was my start at the Walnut. And 24 shows later, here we are. So what keeps bringing you back to, because I always love, I always love when I see like performers who always go back to like certain regional theaters, because there's always a reason. So what, what keeps bringing you back to Walnut? Oh man, there's so many things. <laughs> one, one, it's, it's home. It's mm-hmm. my home, it's my home theater. Two, you know, since I've been working there, which is almost 20 years, 
it's still this, it's still a lot of the same people. You know, Bernard Havard, who has been such a visionary. He's actually been such a mentor for me, and he's you know he he could see things in me that I would. There's no way, you know, like Florence Foster. I was like, there's no way, and and then I did it, and I was like, oh, I can do this, you know. So he was he was such a visionary for me, and he was such always a supportive person, and. You know, as far as regional theaters are concerned, it's certainly one of the highest paying regional theaters in the country. Mm-hmm. And but it was interesting because I was always the understudy, always the understudy, always chorus understudy until I finally went back to New York and I got Broadway credits. And then I came back and they're like, OK, we'll cast you as a lead. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, they would give me the feature feature ensemble parts and things like that. But, you know, they always brought the leads in from New York and yeah. all of that. And and. Actually, a lot of theaters are getting away from that. They're trying to hire more local people mm-hmm. to save money and two to use local talent. Yeah, you know because that certainly sells tickets. Like, for instance, when we were doing um, Beauty and the Beast, Chris Stevens, who's a Jersey guy, and Julia, who's a, yeah. a, a Jersey gal, you know, they had Julia so was many. like twenty minutes from me. It's great. oh, that's <laughs> funny. But you know, they had so many friends and family and. Mm-hmm. and high school people and you know and so it packed the theater i mean we mm. broke all the records for wellness yeah. Street theater as far as ticket sales with beauty and the beast it was incredible i have i have not seen audiences that size i mean every seat was filled it was the ushers had to had to sit in the aisles because there wasn't even a seat for the ushers to sit i, I mean it was just it was incredible but i think that's part of why local theaters are like hey there's a lot of local talent Mm-hmm. And it sells tickets because people want to see their own. People yeah. want to see people that they know or, oh, she's from Drexel Hill. Oh, he's from, you know, South Jersey, whatever. It was wild because I had several connections in that cast because, you know, Ju- like they're, they're like live connections. Like Julia lived like lived like in a, t- a few towns over from me. Uh-huh. Um, and like one of the things that she did, like as a like, I'm assuming like in like high school or whatever, like, like community theater, I go there like almost like at least once a month to see shows, like, at least once every two months to see shows. Um, my brother works there like, off and on now. Um, I think the guy who played the Beast, his wife went to Ithaca College. Um, and I went to Ithaca College. Um, there was you, who I have connections with through the podcast. Um, what else was there? I had one of the guys in the, one of the ensemble members of the cast was friends of a friend, and I'm like, this, like, it was, and like, it's so wild because, like, especially like when you have like a tight, like, Philadelphia theater community is really tight knit sometimes. Yes. And yes, and so is. like I mean so it's like everyone like and I was like saying that like I remember when I saw Beauty and the Beast I remember the night I saw it was I remember I messaged you about that because people started like people started cheering in the middle of home and I was like okay well that's, that's I was like that's really weird I was like and it was in the most random part too yeah it was in I the was, middle of the song and she's <laughs> just storytelling basically and I remember I literally like texted my brother and I was like I was like they just started cheering in the middle of home and he was like where and i was like i remember i just sang the part for him and he was like that's in the middle of nothing it's not like it's like a money note it's not like it's a, it's not like it's like you know like def- the defying gravity flight section like it's nothing and like i like and i was like well i know sh- i know she had a lot of there was a lot of friends and family in the audience and then i learned that there was apparently some drunk patron in the audience <laughs> yeah. and they all like applauded like when he left and i was like I was like, and like, I remember I read the article and it was like, they were like saying that he was like shouting and screaming. And I was like, I did not hear any of that. But also now granted, I was up in the mezzanine. But I was like, I did not hear any of that, which was crazy. 
Yeah, it's funny because we kept, because Julie and I are the only ones on stage at that point. Which and, is so weird being the wardrobe because you just kind of got to stand there and just be like. Cause I you know what? Standing there and watching her sing that song every night, it never got old. It never got boring. It never got old. I mean, I love, first of all, I love her as a person. She's just a lovely, lovely person. And she's so talented, you know? So so I truly did not mind standing on stage and watching <laughs> her sing that song. <laughs> um, but yeah, we we were both on stage and we, and we kept seeing flashlights because I, I guess it must have been the ushers going up mm-hmm. there to try to get this guy out. And we kept seeing flashlights up and I was like, wow, that's some really late seating is what <laughs> I thought. And, and then the applause happened, and we both were like, what the heck? Um, but, yeah, it wasn't until somebody had posted, because we had a, a WhatsApp chat, the whole cast, and uh, somebody had posted it on the chat, and that's where I, finally we realized what had happened, because we truly did not have any idea. We were just like, huh, that's weird. So how heavy were those costumes? Oh, dear Lord. Um <laughs> When I originally tried on the wardrobe costume, it it's it came from Tuacon. Oh. Um, so the way they had originally built it was to wear. So basically, Ooh. it was suspenders. Um. It was a attached to a little bit of a weight belt, kind of. So it was plugged in, but she carried the costume. And the first time I tried it, and it took two people to actually lift up that thing to get <laughs> under it and then to, to put it on and just the weight of it. I have a torn rotator cuff. And so I was like, there's, there's no, you're going to have to replace me. I can't, I can't wear this costume. And um, they're like, well, you know, let's, let's think about it. Let's see what we can come up with. So they took that original costume and they sort of redesigned underneath it to put it on wheels so that it was only connected to my waist and they they did the height the crew guys were amazing in putting this together you know they got the height exactly where it needed to be for it to be comfortable for me mm-hmm. and and um it's funny because under my ursula costume which also weighed 40 pounds <laughs> um i wore these nike high top sneakers because that's literally what mm-hmm. came with the costume <clears throat> So I wore the same shoes as the wardrobe because nobody could, nobody saw my feet. So I wore my black Nike high top sneakers and, you know, I was able to maneuver around and I never had to carry the weight of that costume. Thank God. Cause I remember we did beauty and the beast when I was in high school, my freshman year. And I remember I would just for funsies, I was trying all the war, all the costumes that I could fit. Like, cause you know, my friend, uh, cause you know, the guy who played, um, Cogsworth, it was essentially just like a box that they put over him, you know? So it was high school. So it was essentially all just like boxes going over people. Uh-huh. And so I did that. And I remember I have a picture of me as Cogsworth as like in the Cogsworth costume somewhere. Um, and I remember like, I was like, I was like, I don't know how, like I was in it for like five, like maybe five minutes. Cause I just walked around the dressing room in it. And I was like, I don't know how he did that for like all that time on stage. Then with all the dancing, I was like, I was like, I was like, it hurt just like five, because it was like it like had some padding, but it still, I was like, it was like wood. It was just like wo- it was a wooden box. Oof. Yeah, I mean, a lot. Uh, Ark Hosworth also he wore his costume the same way, like with suspender. It was a suspender type thing, and you know, you you just have to really take care of your body when you do that. You know. Um, I took a lot of a, I took a lot of a leave. I took a lot of Advil, <laughs> you know, because even though I was, I couldn't sit down in that costume. Oh, so yeah. basically, once I put it on, you I couldn't. stood for the whole act. 
for all of Act One. Once I put it on, I usually put it on when Gaston was singing me, and then I kept it on till the end of Act One. Oof. So basically, you have to stand because of the way the costume is built. You're attached to it. And, you know, I had a, what, a two and a half foot wig. Yo, yeah. So I couldn't get under the piece to crawl because I literally had to crawl in and out of that costume. Yeah. Uh, it was it was special. I, I, will, yeah, not, I, I will not miss that costume. <laughs> I, I thought it looked great when I when I saw the production photos and such. I thought I thought, yes, it does. Look oh, you fantastic. look great. You look fabulous. But the practicality of it was just whew. And I can only imagine backstage because there was probably not a lot of room, especially when that giant like circle thing was back there. There was probably oh, zero room. Zero room. We we had to we had whole backstage choreography. Like at this point, I know I have to move here because they're coming off and they don't have room. You know, it it was a whole thing. That's why we had all of the understudies at one point shadow their person backstage so that they could see the backstage traffic and how. I mean, it's it's almost more complicated than what's going on on mm -hmm. stage because the way the sets have to come through and they are, you know, and coming on and off stage for, for all of those giant costumes. Yeah. I remember when we did it in high school. So for the opening number bell, we had like these three houses and like with opening doors that you could open it. And when they were backstage, you literally like to get through backstage. Sometimes you would have to open one door while opening the other, while opening the other, just to get through. Just backstage. to get through. And I remember when we did when we did be our guest so we had a mid runner and then we had the regular curtain and i remember i was in charge of doing the curtains for that show like um and i remember i literally like so you know i would get up i would close the main curtain and then bell's bed was like right was like right on like it was like close to being on stage but it was like right in the wings and i remember i had to like flip over the bed to close the mid runner then i had to flip back over the bed to open the curtain again then to flip back over the bed to open the mid runner yeah, it's crazy. Sometimes backstage is just, it's a whole show in itself. And then when we did Shrek, it was even worse because we had the gigantic tower. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, it was, we had a lot of cool stuff for scenery wise, but it was crazy backstage. It was never fun. Like, we all, like, we could never put the costumes, like, if, like, we had big costumes for Reading and the Beast, we could never put the big costumes on in the dressing room because we would not be able to get through the door. <laughs> oh yeah all of our costumes lived on stage we had to literally we had to be like we had to literally be like we would have like crews because we would have them like for like the wardrobe and cogs were specifically we would have crews where it would literally be like okay and we're descending the costume now onto this person yeah but, it's crazy anyway fun fun flashback stories so i have a few random website questions for you uh oh i haven't checked my website for a while so okay so it says classic film aficionado. I love classic film. Love, love, love classic film. I always have. Define classic film for me because classic means something different for everyone else. It does. It does. Well, from the beginning of film, oh. very, very, very early stuff. Uh, like all the, the way 30s, to the talkies. <laughs> all the way through, I would say through the mid 70s. Oh, gotcha. And then everything any... from from the mid seventies on, I think, is like current. And I don't, I really don't know current film at all. <laughs> I remember I recently just watched All About Eve a few <gasps> days ago, and, and you'd never seen it. I've never seen it, which is crazy because I went through a huge Marilyn Monroe phase in high school. That was one of her first films, yeah. Yeah. Um, I recently watched All About Eve. What else did I recently watch? I remember. Hang on, let me check my letterbox. Oh, that's that is definitely one of my favorites. I mean, the dialogue is just 
And the performances. I mean, you can't beat Betty Davis. I mean, come on. On December 23rd. And George Sanders. I, I also George watched, Sanders. recently watched Meet Me in St. Louis. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Um, that's some horror movies. Um, I recently I watched Young Frankenstein. Oh, brilliant film. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I didn't care for it. Really? I just... Like, there were parts where I was like, oh, that's funny. And I was like, how oh, that's funny. But then there were parts where I was just like, I just, I, did, I don't know. Maybe it was just, maybe it was because I also kept stopping and starting it. Oh, maybe. So you didn't have that through line. But, I mean, Mel Brooks isn't for everybody. I mean, but I love the producers, though. The movie or the show? Both. Ah, interesting. What else did I watch that was... Yeah, I was mostly I mostly watched Meet Me in St. Louis and um, All About Eve, and I remember I'm trying to get back into old movies because there was a lot of like fun old movies. Like one of my favorite movies of all time is Sunset Boulevard. Oh, I mean, yes, that's a classic for a reason. It's Those performances my... are incredible, and it's also one of my dream directing projects. Um, oh, one of my dream directing projects. I love it so much um so how did this love for classic film come about um i think when i was like in junior high high school and i was doing musicals and things like that a lot of people would want me to reference the original which was always like on vhs tape <laughs> so i would go to we the movie store <laughs> and i would rent you know jeanette mcdonald who became one of my idols um you know all the classic the classic oklahoma the classic you know, all of those Rodgers and Hammerstein films. Oh, I was, I was raised on those films. The, yeah. South, the King and I, South Pacific. Oh. Yeah, all, all of those. I mean, the cla they're, they're classics. And then from there, it just sort of grew into the whole, the whole genre and, 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 and following the particular actors and seeing their through line of what, you know, what films they kept getting cast in and, you know, reading about what they, oh, they wish they could have been seen for this, or this role was originally offered to this person, but they turned it down. So this person, and it, it becomes iconic. Oh, yeah, because back then it was it was a lot of, like, well, they, when scripts were written, they were written for specific people in mind. It sure. wasn't just, like, not that, not the, 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 nowadays it's a lot of, like, you know, writing and then actors adjust themselves to fit the role. Before it was vice versa, oftentimes scripts would be adjusted to fit the actor. Um... And I remember there's also a lot of that in, like, Broadway stuff. Like, I know Elaine Stritch, she did this musical called Sail Away, and it was originally, like, it was originally completely different. And then when they realized that the person they hired was awful, <laughs> when, or something, there was something going on with her. And they were like, well, what if we just combine Elaine's role with that role, and then we just make Elaine the lead? And then they were just like, that works. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Um, yeah, and so that's what I love about, because also with classic films, you can also sometimes, you can see where you're like, oh, this was... And like another one of my favorite films is Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. I love that film. Uh huh. Uh huh. I'm still upset. I mean, I still think that Marilyn. Sh I know this will be controversial, but I think Marilyn should have gotten an Oscar nomination for it. Yes, but she did a lot of of really. Uh, she did some heavier stuff. She that did. She's just. She was. She was really a great actress. She really I'm, was. Oops. I'm angry as that. Is she wanted to be seen for a cat on a hot tin roof, but they wouldn't see her. Because people were so stereotyped, and they were owned by the studios. Mm -hmm. Once you were signed with a studio, it was very hard to go to another studio to do a film. 
they had to either buy you out of your contract or it was or they just wouldn't let you so i don't know if, if in that particular case it was a studio thing or they just didn't see her in that role or they already had somebody else in mind well because i know for the film when it was elizabeth taylor and um i think yeah <laughs> that was but i remember like because she wanted she wanted to do the she first she wanted to do it on stage she was like i'll do it anywhere on stage she's like i just want to do it on stage and then she was like well can i do the movie and then like both times they were like no but yeah yeah i mean a lot of and it, it still happens today with casting mm -hmm. you know i run into it all the time people have a specific thing in mind and you come in with blonde hair but they they want somebody with black hair and they don't have the vision a lot of times to be like oh we'll put her in a black wig mm -hmm. it's it's still happening in casting a lot of times and it's it's sad that we really i mean a lot of times yes people have vision and they can cast somebody who you know isn't necessarily like the fact that they cast me as ursula is shocking to me i can't believe they actually took a chance and why and why is that shocking to you because i was always the soprano i was always the coloratura i was always you know nice and sweet and you know all those kind of characters and to do something so out of character for me i'm just so surprised they they actually took a chance and that's what a lot of people aren't willing to take that chance yeah for me whenever i'm always i always say this all the time on my podcast when i like whenever i do dream casting i'm always like it's never i never care about like what someone looks like i'm like can i just see them in the role like mm -hmm. not even like can i just see them acting wise in the role like for me like what was what was there was this one like there was this i forget what it was there was something that i <clears throat> oh i die in a hill that if sunset boulevard ever were to be made into a movie like movie musical mm -hmm. i think it should be idina menzel you don't think she's too young she's in about her 50s and that's what norma is she's in her 50s i think mm -hmm. i don't is... I mean, she's a little bit older I, in my, I mean, I don't, I don't remember how old Gloria Swanson was in the film. Idina is it. 52 and Gloria was 50 when she did the film. But it's different. Age today is True. so much different Fair. than it was then. I mean, they can age her. They certainly can. But I mean, but... like somebody like Christine Ebersol, visually. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. They age. But I understand why you'd want to cast her. So anyway, so other fun things I found on your website was, okay. was you did, so you were so you said that you like to live, not live, but you said you like to visit the Lakes region of New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. Yes. Where in the Lakes region? Because as a child, my family and me, we went up to Lake Winnipesaukee every year. Yeah, I have a house there. <gasps> Where? Because we were right by, I have it on my phone, Glidden Cove. Oh, I'm not sure which cove. What was the biggest town that you were close to? Um, Alton Bay. Oh, okay. So you were on that side of the lake. That that part mm -hmm. of the lake is like around like eight o'clock. I live around five o'clock on the lake. I, so really I, live, like... I live in a town called Tuftonboro. Oh. Um, but it's closest. The biggest town that's recognizable is Wolfboro, which is the yes. Oldest... We were also by there because I remember yeah. one year was an election year, and like we would see all these signs everywhere. 
Uh -huh. Yeah, Romney had a house up there. I mean, a lot of people have a house on Lake Wadawasaki. Yes. A lot of politicians, movie stars, lots of people. Because we went to the... <laughs> I'm not <laughs> <Yeah>. on the lake. <laughs> <laughs> we went to this place called Camp Fisher that was originally this like old fishing like thing. Like it started out as this one guy will go up fishing with his buddies and they start ha started having families. So you know they originally just had like this like little shack of a cabin because you know it was just a bunch of dudes fishing and then they're like okay well let's build a cabin for this family build a cabin for this family and then there was like a total of like including the main one which was like three floors had all this other stuff fancy stuff in it there was like five additional cabins five or six additional cabins and we would rent them out for about a thousand dollars a week a thousand five hundred dollars a week which that's, isn't bad because it was right pretty... on the waterfront oh that's that's really cheap nowadays oh yeah and then but then the guy who was who who owned it he owned it with his wife and then the wife died and then he was just getting old and so they eventually sold it and now it's like now i mean there are a few cabins that there are still to rent like on airbnb but it's like it's like four thousand dollars for and it's like a thousand dollars for a night and my parents are like we're not i know well and especially if you're right on the lake it's yeah it's crazy yeah i'm on a mountain i'm like seven miles from town but it's beautiful. I loved it. We would always go up there for like a week. We mm -hmm. would, um, and we were we would go fishing. They had they had um, shuffleboard on the one deck. You could mm -hmm. go swimming. Um, we would also rent kayaks. We would go horseback riding. I remember one time where we were. I it was my mission for me to kayak from where we were to Rattlesnake Island. Uh huh. Yeah. And I did it. And I remember it was. I want to say it was about. I don't think it was a mile, but it was definitely long. It was far. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I remember I did it, and I remember then I was as I was coming back, I was singing the entire way back at the top of my lungs. Because <laughs> I did it. Good for you. Yeah, that joy of you're like, yeah. I was like, yes, I did yeah. it. And my parents would like my parents would like listen to me. My parents said that they would hear they heard me like singing. Like I was singing Good Morning Baltimore. I was singing, I forget what else I sang, but I remember, I just remember singing Good Morning Baltimore, like, over and over again. That's funny. Well, you needed the motivation to get back, probably, too. Oh, truly. <laughs> I was tired. And I remember I got to the point where I didn't eat, because there were two piers, the one pier where all the boats were supposed to go, and then the one pier that was for swimming. Mm -hmm. And I went mm -hmm. to the swimming one because it was closer, and I was like, I don't have any energy in me, because I was like Oh, it's 15. tiring. I was like 15 uh -huh. at the time. And if you're not like conditioned to do that kind of movement, oof, oh, it's hard. Yeah. It's funny. I'll, I'll be returning there. There's this, um, maybe you saw posters for it when it was there, the Great Waters Music Festival. It's a big music a festival that they do every, every summer. And um, I've sung there a couple of times. And I'm actually going back. I'm, that's the one thing I have on the calendar for this year. I have a concert in August up there in Wolfboro. Yeah, no, I love it up there. I want to go back, but, like, the thing is, is just finding a place that's reasonably priced. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to get further from the lake. That's the thing. Because I remember my mom also went to Camp Fisher when she was, like, when she was a child. So it was, like, this whole thing. And I remember when it closed, it was just, when we got the letter, it was set. Because they didn't have a website, they didn't have anything. It was all just through, like, word of mouth. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. So it was, like, very old school. But... Anyway, so we've unfortunately reached the end of the interview. That what? That's fine. <laughs> like, unfortunately. <laughs> so, okay. I always say that because sometimes people are sad. If you're not, it's okay. No, um, I've had a lovely time. <laughs> I mean, this is I just wonderful. Have, Thank you. 
Yeah, I just have three final questions for you. Oh, okay. First and foremost, where can the people find you online? They can find me at RebeccaRobbins.com. And that's Robbins with two Bs. Um, do you have anything you want to plug or promote? This episode airs Feb January, January, January 19th. I don't have anything coming up. The only thing I have on the calendar so far is that concert in August. Um, but, you know, the past two years, January, I have not had anything. And then, like, this past year, it turned out being one of the best years of my career. So, well, I don't know. It wasn't last year when they did, um, when they were originally going to do On Your Feet at Walnut. And then, like, something happened where that got canceled and then they did Patsy Cline. Yes, absolutely. That that was totally out of the blue. <laughs> Yeah, because it was a co-pro, and then COVID shut a lot of things down, and, and yeah. So everything got shuffled around, and then I got a call out of the blue saying, hey, would you be interested? Would you be available? And then finally, my last question for you is, is there a lady you would love to have lunch with? There's lots of ladies I'd love to have lunch with. You can list with. a few if you want. Well, I would love to have lunch with Jeanette McDonald. Because as I said before, she was one of my first idols. And she was working at a time in Hollywood before the censors and mm -hmm. then after the censors. So what she had to deal with. And then she's just fascinating to me. And she's a Philly gal. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Jeanette McDonald. Um, Anyone else? Oh, so many people. I'd love to have lunch with uh, Catherine Hepburn. You know, what What an icon. She did everything from comedy to drama to, I don't know if she sang, but. She did The once. longevity of her career is just incredible. Because she, she did do a acting. musical. Oh. She did, I think it was Hepburn, or maybe it was, I think, or maybe it was the other one. I think it was Ooh. Catherine, though. It was called Coco. It was about some medical, not medical, cosmetic giant, and apparently she rarely sang in it, though. Oh, like Coco Chanel? Yeah. Oh, you know your history. You know your musical theater history. I'm impressed. Yeah, and Lauren Bacall. I mean, yeah. So I'm actually distantly related to Lauren Bacall by marriage. Wow. Like, distantly, distantly related. I think. Well, still, that's really cool. We're distantly related to Humphrey Bogart. Ah. Oh. When in, all of their films, I highly suggest you see, they did like four, four or five films together. And every single one of them is a masterpiece. I Watch. have to see Casablanca. I know, so bad. Oh, so bad. Talk about the perfect cast. Well, you know, it's interesting. In Casablanca, there's the French um, general played by Claude Rains. And Claude Rains was actually the teacher of, like, Laurence Olivier. I mean, he mm -hmm. was a classical actor, incredible actor. He's buried close to where I live in New Hampshire. Oh, wow. So every year, he was also the Invisible Man. Yep. So every year we go, we go say hi to Claude. And, and usually somebody has left a little figurine of the Invisible Man as a little action figure. It's very mm -hmm. cute. Um, but, yeah, oh, man, Casablanca, you gotta. I know. I've also, I don't I, think I've ever I could actually... Give you a, I could give you a whole list, honey. <laughs> Please do. I'm looking for things to watch as like once I because I only recently watched Meet Me in St. Louis for the first time ever. I've also I've never I've don't think I've ever seen Titanic all the way through. Oh, it's long. 
And you know what's going to happen. It's not like it's a surprise ending. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, ooh. Like, I remember, like, I know, like, I've watched, like, I know little bits and pieces of it, but I don't think I've ever actually sat and watched the full thing all the way through. Like, unedited, uninterrupted. Um, I just saw a production of Titanic, the musical, uh, at Fulton Theater. That was last year, I guess it was. Earlier. Yeah, because it's January. Um Gosh, that's a beautiful score. Beautiful musical. I, maybe it was because I saw a community theater production and not a regional, but I just found myself being like... Well, there's a lot of ballads. Yeah. Everybody said, everybody's going to talk about, oh, I'm going to die, oh, I'm going to die, you know. So there's a lot of ballads. But um, there's some really, really incredible, incredible music in that. And I remember, I just remember, I was like, I was like, I was like, I was, I literally just, I was like, I was like, another ballad. I was like, and another one. I was like, especially, especially act two. Especially oh act two. God. I was like, I was like, I was like, we were getting towards the end of act one. And I was like, this boat hasn't even started to think yet. What is going on? But you know, I saw incredible people. I saw Linda Belgord. Oh she God, was I in it. Her. Oh my God. She was incredible. I just, I'm such a huge fan. Kevin Early, who I did Tale of Two Cities with. He was in it. I mean. There were some spectacular performers who really could elevate the story and and the songs, and it was it was a beautiful production. And then they did the whole, um, you know, a lot of people are using all these graphics and and special effects and mm -hmm. these screens behind. And so you know, you saw different parts of the ship, and you saw the blueprints, and you saw you know, so it was it's really cool. Speaking of Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> all right well thank you so much for joining me rebecca it was such a pleasure chatting with you you too paul thanks for having me i so appreciate it and i appreciate all your support when you come to see our shows i, I so appreciate know. it thank you for giving me an, a nice escape for two hours from this Gosh. world it's just it's just and this year especially is gonna be whew, <laughs> to it's gonna christina, be a doozy to quote christina baranski it's going to hell in a handbag it certainly is. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I will see you all next week. Bye-bye. So here's to the girls on the go. Everybody tries. Look into their eyes and you'll see what they know. Everybody dies. A toast to that invincible bunch. The dinosaurs surviving the crunch Let's hear it for the ladies who lunch <laughs> <laughs>